0: I
1: don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
0: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go.
2: Rugby <laughs> rugby weekly. Little
0: reverse Ireland! Magic
2: alive, Hello everyone and a warm welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42 ahead of this brilliant looking November. Murray, how are you? Are you excited? I'm
1: very excited I've actually obviously seen the Ireland team but I've also seen the France team DuPont, Entomac, Jalibert and Fiku is the 9, 10, 12, 13 like that is as juicy as they come I can't wait to watch them play. Japan team obviously exciting as well and, and plenty to talk about in this Ireland team.
2: Yeah we're going to dive straight into the Ireland team I say straight in a moment I have to say hello firstly to Bernard Jackman. Bert, how are you? Well, thanks, Gav. Brilliant. We're going to chat as well to Rich Freeman later on. He's going to give us the thoughts from Japan. He is a Japanese rugby expert. Looking forward to that catch-up between Murray and Rich. And later on as well, towards the end of the show, we're going to look ahead to November and the future generally through the prism of some of the developing Rugby nations and see which way the wind is blowing for a number of them. Uh, That Ireland team, Murray, has just been announced as we record. So you guys have had about 25 seconds to observe it. Is it about what you expected and did it meet the rumours that had been, well, that tend to circulate in the lead up to team announcements?
1: Yeah, I mean, the expectation was a a very strong Ireland team kind of prepping them for, for the All Blacks game as well as respecting Japan. And it's definitely along those lines. The big surprise kind of yesterday that, that filled true, through maybe not big surprises wrong but James Lowe is back on the left wing you thought about them needing a left footer with Stockdale missing so it was probably going to be himself or or Zeebo, Um and Lowe gets a nod there as well as Conway on the right I think um, longer term, we would have anticipated that Keith Earls would be in that slot as well. So interesting selections on the wing. Um, I had a couple of wrong ones in my prediction. Certainly at Hooker, I I, I had um, a sense that Herring was going to be there. But Ronan Keller gets the nod in, and and tees himself up if he plays well to, to start against the All Blacks. And Dan Sheehan is on the bench for his debut, which is really exciting. Obviously, selection, he's such an athlete, as we've discussed. He's got major potential. Um, and Rob Herring is the one to miss out. the The guy who's been a, a bit of an incumbent there and, and reliable around set piece and and low error count. So um, I think that's a, a brave selection from Farrell in that sense. But overall, I think uh, a lot of people will probably be a little bit disappointed. There's not a greater um, sense of uh, ch- you know testing out his squad in this November window. Uh, we discussed someone like Kieron Frawley. I was really hopeful that we might see him just to know whether that model can work. Um, but he's gone for Aki and, and Ringrose to try and get them, I suppose, a bit of momentum before they, before they take on the All Blacks. And, and that's been the story with Ireland. It's, it's winning now. Um, there's, there's certainly bits of development there, like Sheehan um, and some really exciting talent. Kelher starting, Caelan Doris getting more experience, that kind of thing. But I kind of understand how some people will be disappointed not to see a greater element of trying things out in this window.
2: Just to start with your old area of expertise Birch, well still an area of expertise And uh, your dartsman Rob Herring not included Instead it's uh, Ronan Keller To the Aki. are you surprised that Herring isn't included at all or Without meaning to sound cruel towards Herring Is that a sign of Development or experimentation that uh, Farrell is potentially looking to the future With Sheehan on the bench uh, Just that little bit of greater dynamism Off the bench I guess
0: yeah I think um, I think we're very lucky we've got three very good hookers um, obviously uh, as Murray and yourself said Herring is the set sepi specialist and um, but then you've got two really explosive exciting ball carriers in Callagher in and Sheen and um, I think it's probably one of those ones where Herring either starts or he doesn't feature um, and, and you know I wouldn't be overly surprised if Herring started against the All Blacks if if the, the set piece shows, you know, um, any sign of weakness this weekend, I, I'd be shocked if Paul, you know, went into the All Blacks game um, with any doubts around, you know, being able to win quality ball. And I, and I think herring at the moment is just a little bit better in that area. But I think the two lads are, are better uh, better rugby players. Uh, and that's, uh, well, not better rugby players, but more, more explosive um, in open play. Um, I think this front row is... Is as good as any front row in the world in terms of all three's ability to to play um, play in in open play. Obviously, three more power athletes as well. Set piece, uh, scrum should be very very good. And um, you know, and you've got Dan coming off the bench hopefully to to add add to it. So I like the front row. It's probably if, well, if I'm being perfectly honest, you know, when I saw the treat like the, all the international teams I think are out now. England's out as well. Obviously. Marcus Smith has missed out because he hasn't been able to train in terms of starting, but it was probably Marcus Smith that I was looking forward to seeing. Um, it's the Japanese team with uh, Fafita, um, you know, Riley, and it's France as, as um, as Murray said, you know. So the, the Irish team, while I absolutely respect um, all their qualities, it's it probably it probably hasn't got you know me super excited. Now that's probably nothing to do with individuals. It's probably because there hasn't really been a, a significant development in our, our attacking game. Um, there was glimpses of it in the summer, but obviously that was you know against um, uh, probably you know enough well, Japan were full strength, but certainly in America aren't the kind of the the litmus test for your for your attacking game. So I'm excited. I am I'm excited to see what we do with our with our frontliners. Um, uh, but yeah, it's probably probably based on the last two seasons. No real. Massive development in terms of our attacking game, and I, and I don't think we have to. We'll, I don't think we'll, we'll win our game with attack. It'll be how we defend and what squeeze we can put on them in set piece. But realistically, for us, we're getting closer to another World Cup. We're getting closer to a Six Nations. We're getting closer to a very difficult tour of New Zealand next summer. Um Without a huge amount of strings to our bow in terms of an all-round game plan, I think
1: the profile there. In the pack, Birch is that they we should see that development now. You know, you've got Porter at loosehead, a guy who's obviously explosive, athletic, but he's got skills in terms of handling and, and picking passes. Furlong, obviously, we know that. Keller is well capable of offloading when he wins those collisions. Ty Byrne in the second row is like a, a playmaker. Um, and we've seen James Ryan pushing his game in that regard. It doesn't definitely come as naturally to him the the back row is is really skillful in in what they can do jack conan we saw him go all the way to to starting the three lines test and they probably actually didn't get enough out of him in, in terms of what he can do and Doris is a, a similarly complete player so there is no excuse for us not to see that now you know if you're throwing in more experimentation in your squad selection. I think there'll be more of an understanding around not getting a really strong performance. But Ireland absolutely need to deliver that now by naming such a strong team. I am excited by that pack. Like, obviously, there's a level of familiarity there, but at the same time, Porter hasn't been a loosehead. And I agree with Birch. I actually think Porter could be possibly the best loosehead out there. You know, the scrummaging side of it will be a challenge, of course. And Japan have worked hard on that area, but he's just got so many attributes that were probably a little bit wasted as the the backup tight head. Keller, obviously, extremely athletic. And, and the whole profile of the pack is that. They're mobile. They're probably the players that you thought of when you when you saw Andy Farrell coming in as the, the head coach and what he would look for. So there's plenty of excitement in that, uh, but it's about the, them actually being used in the right manner and not just bludgeoning away, but being pushed and pressed and encouraged to use that skill set uh, uh, as well. The nine selection is, is interesting. Obviously, Conor Murray isn't... Match fit. He's only played 22 minutes, but we know that Farrell is a huge fan of what Gibson Park brings. His skill set around that nine role, the ability to snipe, the ability to decision make on the move towards the rock, uh, and it's a massive game for him. You know, if this goes well, he has a, a shot maybe at the All Blacks, his his native country, and loads of players he'd be really familiar with. It'll, it'll be a massive couple of weeks for him, and again, it'd be brilliant to see his skills really harnessed and and that have a big influence over how Ireland play.
0: Yeah, just just on that, like I'm a Man United fan for my sins, and and Man United have loads of brilliant players as well. Um, uh, uh, there's no doubt, but we don't really see at the moment um, a real clear plan to how to use them together, and it's a little bit like like I've no doubt Johnny when Johnny plays, there will be structure to it, um, and we will have a better chance of seeing all those players, particularly the forwards, you know, footballing ability, power, because he will. Do a huge amount on the field to make sure they're set up correctly. It's just, you know, what what are they going to be like if Johnny's not there? If Johnny's injured, um, and how much of it's down to his his ability to stay fit? Um, that's the question I think. So for me, like for example, you know, if Japan if Japan play next week with with uh, Saito and Matsuda, they'll still play the same way. You know what I mean? If we play next week with Joey or um, uh, or, or Burn. You know will we play the same way i i don't know if we will and that's the that's the question like i I could be completely wrong maybe we will maybe we've moved on to the level now where everybody is very comfortable with how ireland play what our philosophy is um and i hope we are if we are then we'll have a great chance we'll have a great team if we're not um we'll be a little bit hit and miss and a little bit inconsistent
2: isn't it unbelievable how the conversation around sexton has morphed murray over the last couple of years because even before the last world cup in our heads, not just the three of us, but rugby fans around the country, we were making our own succession plans for the upcoming World Cup, right? And the presumption was that he would have aged gracefully and probably written off into the sunset by this point, despite the fact that he was saying he wanted to emulate Tom Brady. I'm not sure how serious he is about literally going to 45, probably not that serious, but definitely wants to keep going until he literally can't anymore, right? And... Okay, I, I would argue he's not quite as good as he was during his World Player of the Year Pomp 2018, but he's not a million miles off. It, the concern is probably stringing games together for him, which is becoming more difficult. I don't know, is that due to age or just due to general wear and tear? And yet, he is still, and I don't think anybody would disagree, listening or on this call, by far and away our best out half. And probably will be. Like There's not enough evidence to suggest that he will drop off between now and the World Cup. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, it's impo- I think it's an impossible question to answer and predict because you just don't know when someone athletically and in terms of what their body can do just stops and declines because it happens quite quickly in the end often with with, with older players. I agree at the moment, 100%, you wish the World Cup was sooner so that you you'd ha- definitely have him there and, and that's a guarantee. I know already he's thinking about that next contract to, to carry through to the World Cup and he, as he said, they'll, they'll try and do that after Six Nations time. And it'll be no great shock to see see that happening. All the language around it, all the communication is that he's the captain, he's driving this forward, and World Cup is very much on his and Farrell's mind. But you just worry about, as you say, history repeating itself. Like it's crazy that we're having the same convo that we had all those years ago. Um, and there's still no answer. And that's why, again, this November window is important. It's obviously not gonna happen this weekend, but like Joey Carberry has to get a start against Argentina. Um, in that game and get a chance to, to run the team at 10 again this would have been a great window but as I said Farrell's thinking about getting momentum into his team and the fact that Sexton is, is the best out half definitely there needs to be a concerted effort to make sure that if he goes down or gets injured or his body um, quickly gives up or, or whatever the, the, the phrase for that is, is that someone else is ready and experienced and has a, had exposure recently to pressure situations and big games and that the teammates around him have also had that exposure to him because you don't want one injury to completely derail everything around around the team. And, and that's definitely still a, a valid concern.
2: Birch, with players growing old or deteriorating physically through age, like, I'd argue... I know what Murray is saying there. Sometimes a player can grow literally overnight. Mickey Ward, the boxer, spoke about growing old between rounds in his third fight with Arturo Gatti. Literally a minute, and he felt like an old man. But with Sexton, I'd argue he already has physically deteriorated in a very natural way. Not um, especially perceptible, maybe, to the naked eye, but he's not 100% the athlete he used to be. And I guess if it follows that trajectory, and if he's able to keep himself on a reasonably even keel, there isn't... like. I suppose what I'm asking is if Murray if, as Murray says, he could just drop off a cliff one day between now and the World Cup, then this is one of the great gamblers of all time in Irish rugby. Do you think they're viewing it the same way?
0: Um I, I actually think it's really it's really important we absolve Johnny of any blame in this. I mean, hmm. it's not his fault that he's still by a million miles um our best our best ten and, and sometimes some of the narrative people talk to me on the street is like uh, it's if it's his fault he's still he's still there like all he's doing is preparing himself in the best possible way playing as well as he can and he's twenty five percent better than everybody else so um like we're lucky we have him at the moment I, I think I actually don't think his body will be will will he was never his game was never based on. Like sheer athleticism, like Marcus Smith, you know he, his game is based on his ability, his speed, the speed off the mark. Obviously, his speed of thought, but realistically, it's his it's his speed that makes a difference. Bowden Barrett the same, like Johnny and Dan Bigger and Owen Farrell, like they don't they don't operate at the, at the level they operate based on any gift of of uh, genetic gift. In my opinion, they're obviously you know they're obviously good athletes, but. It's mainly their ability to see the game, their decision making, their game sense, their ability to motivate, their ability to organise others, um, their catch pass, their kicking, etc. So their goal kicking. So I actually think he could um, stay at the level he's at in a, a year, you know, in another year, another year, or a year or two after that. But um, the challenge is obviously you have to. You can't just be reliant on him, and that's the unfortunately that's been. The last 6 or 7 years um and i noticed various reasons why joey hasn't come through mainly around injury etc but yeah you know, just unfortunately we haven't found another two who are not, not to be as good as him but close to him and the team can play at a reasonably close level when they play and um. yeah, it's it's fascinating to see. I mean, like, there's lots of talk in England at the moment about George Ford and his form. But I can see why Eddie Jones doesn't have him in for November because George Ford's personality could potentially harm the development of, of Marcus Smith because he's an alpha male. He wants to be the, the 10. And his form, his form gives him a legitimate shot of, of getting game time or getting reps of training. So it makes sense for Eddie Jones to, to leave him out. But if you're Eddie Jones... You know, you know George Ford is there at the end of the phone, um, if you need him to to beat a, a you know a Southern Hemisphere giant or to win a Six Nations game away to Ireland, etc. So, that's the the challenge for us is we haven't done that, we haven't been able to do that, and that's worrying. Uh, it's worrying in a system where everything is aligned and everything's about Team Ireland. We have failed miserably over the last five or six years to to know. Who who the backups are and, and and like I'm not Jack Carty's obviously people could say he's similar to George Ford in that he's a, he's in great form and and Andy Farrell knows he can bring him in but for me it's not the same it's not the it's not the same I mean it, there's, there's there's a sense that Andy Farrell doesn't trust Mike, uh Jack Carty um or he hasn't had the opportunity to do it at international level as often as George Ford has um and yeah I know there's a bigger playing pool in England but I, I, I there's also a lot of moving parts we are one system and I think if anything does happen to Johnny and, and we fail in our in our targets because we haven't clarity in terms of who the next best 10 is the system has failed rather than the you know the individual player
1: Just to broaden it out very briefly Gav you kind of look at numbers 20 and 23 on the bench and this is no criticism of Peter Omani and Keith Earls I think they both obviously have proven themselves at international level I think Omani has started the season really strongly Earls has been unfortunate in playing at 13 where he you know, he's not getting the the run of the ball. But we know what their qualities are. We know everything about them, but we don't know what Gavin Coombs and say Robert Balacoon's qualities at this high level are. It just feels like maybe this was a window to to see that. And and listen, let's judge it after the, the campaign because there is that Argent- Argentina game to come and you would hope and expect and be very disappointed if that wasn't a game where they give that kind of player who I think it's very clear has international test level um ability and even game-changing ability ryan baird another one um because you, you don't have many windows you really don't and and they're talking about 2023 so they want to be judged on that and, and you've got to give these guys an opportunity somewhere
2: well like with apologies to bring it back down half just a moment uh, and to interlink it with what you're saying there murray the fact that you don't have many windows because i'll be crucified if i don't ask this or, or bring it up like again the fact that. There's absolutely nothing to suggest from recent years that Johnny Sexton can make it through an entire World Cup campaign unscathed or really remain fit for the entire thing. And like that's, again, not his fault. He plays incredibly abrasively. He's been playing the game for an incredibly long time, even allowing for the fact that you could potentially rest him for a couple of pool games. It's just we haven't seen it, I suppose, him string together like consecutive, consecutive games for a very long time and with a shortening window ever shortening now to actually integrate uh, a potentially decent backup like we're staring into serious trouble here as far as i can see it and i i i just want to talk about it now rather than again after the world cup going like shit yeah we got that wrong you know
1: yeah i mean i think we my seven birch have kind of expressed that concern he he obviously did put a few games together in the last six nations and was the best out half i, I thought in that um so again, you're trying not to to focus on him. It, definitely, I think we've both said that this is a concern. But yeah, it's just disappointing that you might get a situation where history repeats itself. Um, so yeah, they'll be all focused on on Japan this weekend. It's going to be a class fixture. But you look down the line, and that's where you you have that trepidation. Definitely.
0: But short term, short term, our best chance of beating the All Blacks is with Johnny having played this week and having some kind of cohesion going into next week that's the that's the short-term um argument
2: mm. if only world cups were short-term i suppose South africa made it a little bit more short-term last time didn't they Bert, i know you've been studying japan and we're going to chat to rich freeman or at least murray is in a moment but um how excited are you to see them match up against ireland and just watch them generally like what are you expecting from them this weekend versus say what you would expect from ireland
0: yeah well I, I just think they they're all on the same page um in terms of and they've built this over since two thousand sixteen when Jamie Joseph and, and Tony Brown um took over. They have remodeled their attacking philosophy and they are predominantly an, an attacking based team and it's it's you know, they used analogy of the of the Shinkansen, you know, go uh, which is incredibly fast and leaves or arrives at a at a train station to the second rather than you know, to the minute or, or late, um, and that's basically their their model, is they get in position faster than everybody else, everybody knows their role, and then they implement the Tony Brown, Brown uh, blueprint, which has gone away from structured attack. Um, so just an example, in 2015 under Eddie Jones, when Japan had a very good World Cup, uh, unlucky to miss out on qualification, had three wins in a group, but lost out in bonus points. Uh, obviously, beats Africa and Brighton. You know they scored nine tries, and and none of them were from unstructured attack. Um, so they were all based around set piece possession. And then in 2019, their their split was six from structured, seven from unstructured. And, um, you know they have a massive focus on ball and play time, but that doesn't mean they're slaves to keeping the ball in hand. So possession time actually over the last three World Cups has decreased, and um, but the ball and play time has gone up. So. What does that mean? They're happy to kick the ball away, and but they kick incredibly well. They keep the ball on the field the majority of the time, and they manipulate the backfield before they kick. So it's difficult to do anything with that possession. So what teams generally do is they kick it back, and then Japan will look to exploit that early, or else they'll go back into their their mode to find space in the backfield and kick again. And um, the high ball and play time fatigues defenses, and and as soon as they see a mismatch, they have the the speed and evasion and skill to take advantage of that. So it's it's high tempo. It's 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 interesting. And uh, there's a lot of different wrinkles. And I saw Marie did a piece on on some of their attack against uh, Austra- Australia. And uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's highly complex. Some of their I would actually argue that some of their structured attack is nearly too complicated. Um, in that sometimes they <laughs> sometimes they create opportunities and play another phase because it's pre-programmed, and that opportunity is gone. But that's the way they. That's like I know foreign coaches coaching there, and I mean you know if the session isn't two and a half, three hours, it depends on your manager. So um, a lot of the corporations will will impose a manager on you, and and uh the manager sometimes you know insists on very long training sessions. But because they're so long, they do a huge amount of of repetitions of set piece attack, um in the club game there or the or the factory or, or the the company game, um whereas at international level I think. Tony Brown's got a, a better mix but yeah like they they may score off a set piece try this weekend and if they do it'll probably be a thing of beauty but uh, I don't know if Murray agrees but I, I do t- sometimes think they make it over complicated uh, but certainly their unstructured attack is is very smart and it's uh it's fa- it'll be fascinating to watch we got caught you know they could score 31 points against us um in June uh I thought their defense was very poor particularly in terms of defending the seam uh, of the lineout and the scrum um, and, and we we made good inroads there. We were smart in, the, in in terms of that, but I'd be shocked if they were as weak defensively again um and as I said, I think you know the fact they they scored 31 points against us would have Simon Easter be pretty worried this weekend. Murray, you caught up with Rich Freeman, take it away.
1: Yeah, he's a, a, a gent a guy who showed us around Tokyo a little bit during the World Cup and uh, we had some good times with him as well. But yeah, just caught up with him on the selection, on where Japan have been and their lack of rugby and also kind of future plans for, for the competition in de- domestically over there. There's been changes. So great to catch up with Rich. Rich, thanks Emil for, for talking to us. Firstly, how is life generally in Japan at this stage of what has been a long couple of years?
3: Yeah, it's been a tough couple of years, life's getting back to normal, um, the numbers are down fortunately, a lot of people are vaccinated and they're talking about opening up most of the stadium soon, so uh, we're slowly getting back there.
1: That is good news, we've been a to distract us anyway this weekend and we've just had the, the teams named firstly from Japan, obviously catching our eye that Matsushima is back in there, Tamora, these guys that we're familiar with, any surprises from your point of view and what do you make of that selection?
3: Uh, well, the big surprise is Dylan Riley on the wing. I mean, you've got four centres in the back line and you've got five back row forwards in the pack. Now, whether that's uh, by choice or, or just simply because of the injury problems that they have, it, that's the one thing that really strikes me is 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 those selections in particular.
1: Riley, what can we expect from him? He's not... One we would have known, obviously, at the World Cup.
3: No, he's a young player. He's been up here three and a half. He's one of the sort of the three young Panasonic guns, Ben Gunter, Jack Cornelson, and uh Dylan Raleigh, all coming under Robbie Deans' sort of tutelage at, at Panasonic. Very, very good outside centre. And okay. it, that would be ideally where he'll end up playing for Japan for many years to come it's a bit of a shock to see him on the wing I don't know if he's ever played on the wing he certainly hasn't played on the wing in in the top league in the three years that he's been up here so um, but a very good football player
1: Mm, yeah, I'm sure that Ireland will give him a little bit of a test and vice versa with, with James Lowe coming back in on the left wing on, on this side of the water. What, what is the kind of general perception f- from Japan around this fixture? Obviously, Japan beat Ireland at the World Cup in 2019. It feels like not that long ago, different game here in July. How are the confidence levels and, and what's the expectation, I suppose, from, from Japan?
3: It's difficult to say because this is only the fourth game Japan have played since the World Cup. That's what people have got to remember. I mean, there was talk about Australia were rusty, and that's why they only just beat Japan a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, well, hold on a sec. Japan have hardly played a thing since the World Cup. Obviously, it's away from home. That makes it a lot harder. Um, It's, you know, an interesting selection. There are some young guns in there. It's a transition period with the next World Cup coming up. Everyone still obviously talks about the game at Shizuoka during the World Cup. Obviously, Japan want to prove that July was a little bit of a glitch and that they want to get back to winning ways against a Tier 1 nation.
1: It must be really hard to assess, given that lack of games, that whether rugby has, has kind of kicked on from the World Cup. Is that the the sense there in terms of the legacy of, of the comp?
3: Well, yeah, because, I mean, obviously with the top league, the year after the World Cup, it got stopped because of COVID. And then because the year after this year, it was under sort of closed in closed stadiums pretty much most of the time. So the whole expectation has basically been done on social media. That's where most people are still talking about rugby. That's where, you know, there is still a great deal of excitement over here. People still sort of obviously the World Cup two years away, but um, it's been a tough two years for Japanese rugby, not the two years I think they wanted following such a good World Cup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's really difficult that you can't can't build on that. Has there been much talk about, about the future? Obviously, Joseph and Tony Brown in particular, who was really wanted by the All Blacks sticking around, Price says a lot about where they see it going. Is 2023 looming on the horizon, or is it just about getting back up and running?
3: I think initially it was about getting back up and running, and I think that's why some of the names that were being picked for the squad, especially last year, with uh, earlier this year, sorry, with the Lions in Ireland, were names that were sort of familiar to Jamie Joseph from their time with the Sunwolves. Now, obviously, they're sitting there and realising it's just two years to go to the next World Cup. There are some big names, obviously, that aren't playing this weekend. Um, there's some new young guns that have been picked, and it's still an awkward stage of, of, of how far do you to get rid of someone like perhaps you, Tamura or Michael Leach but how much do you need them to bring on some of these young players that they have
1: mm. It's so funny we just had that uh, discussion on our podcast around Ireland and when the right moment is to, to I suppose make that make that step just to go back to briefly to, to the likes of Riley and Gunter um, and a few other guys you mentioned more Cornelson, like what's the Debate around that in Japan, because project players is always a big thing in Ireland and people discuss it and, you know, players who come through the the Irish system. How big a talking point is it over there?
3: The Japanese people don't mind at all. The only complaints I've seen have been in languages that are not Japanese, basically. (laughs) I mean, I think you'll probably remember from the World Cup, the two biggest roars from the crowd when the team got introduced were generally Michael Leach and Luke Thompson. Yeah. So the Japanese fans... Yeah, probably some of them were sitting there wishing that maybe there were a couple more of their sort of favourite or hometown favourites playing. But they take to the foreigners that have been here, especially, you know, you've got to realise because of COVID, a lot of these guys, Dylan Riley, um, Craig Miller, they stayed up here the whole time. They didn't go back to Australia or New Zealand. They stayed up here because it would have meant time away from the country. Um so the Japanese people respect that, respect the fact that they've, they've given so much to their club teams and, and they want to play for Japan. And so most people in Japan, yeah. every now and again, you get one or two that will sit there and go, oh, too many gaijins or whatever. But generally, they just accept the fact. And I mean, a lot of these guys, Ben Gunter was a day away from joining the Australian Army. His whole real senior rugby has been under Robbie Deans at Panasonic. Um, Tim Lafayette obviously was at university here. A lot of the Tongan boys were at university over here. So people sort of realise that they've given quite a bit to Japanese rugby already and and they deserve a run in the jersey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I saw how, I suppose, some of those guys have become massive figures in in Japanese rugby and are really wholeheartedly loved by the, the supporters in 2019. There is going to be a change domestically. There's the, the top league transforming into League One, which I'm going to confuse with football over on in, in this side of the world. But whatever about the name, it seems like a new dawn, Rich. What's the what's the story there?
3: Ideally, it would be a new dawn. But unfortunately, things might not progress quite as much as I think a lot of us hope um, the ideal was that there was originally going to be 12 professional franchises in the World Cup venues that got dismissed. Then there was talk of a, another competition running alongside the top league that got dismissed. And what we've been left with now is pretty much a continuation of the top league. Mm. Um, the companies still have considerable power. They did not want to get rid of that power particularly two very big-name companies were very insistent that they wanted to carry on almost as they were before. Now, at the moment, one of the biggest concessions is each of the team have to have a place name in, in the hope of trying to regionalize things. The problem is we have now six teams with Tokyo in the name. (laughs) So Tokyo fans are a bit confused. We have one team that James Moore plays for, which is called, and I'll give you its full name, NTT Communications, Shining Arts, Tokyo Bay, Urayasu, which even <laughs> their captain apologised for its length at the recent press conference. So, yes, the teams are starting up academies. That will work. But the whole idea of professionalism, we'll, we'll have to see how that goes.
1: Hmm. Well, like why They're is- certainly
3: getting the big-name players, though.
1: Yeah, they continue to, absolutely. And and it's been brilliant to see some of the, the clips and, and the Roby looks like it's growing. W- why the need to change? It, the companies have been seen as a negative influence or, or what's the, the thought there?
3: Um, I think one of the reasons was just trying to build, ideally was to build on the legacy from the World Cup. Um Soccer made this transformation back in the 90s before the Soccer World Cup was held over here. And they totally transformed the way that football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, was played and supported. And so they developed in in smaller towns that didn't have baseball teams. And suddenly those teams were getting 20, 30,000 people to a game. And really developing the sort of the community spirit. I mean, where I live in Yokohama, we have a baseball team, but we have a couple of soccer teams have a third team now that's just entered into the professional leagues and you'll see banners for the soccer teams everywhere and I think rugby realized that being just purely company-based it was hard to attract fans that was one of the reasons the Sunwolves did so well suddenly the Sunwolves it wasn't your duty to your company it was you this was a team that Japanese people got behind because it represented them so wherever you came from in Japan they supported the Sunwolves they had a great Fan base, and I think that's what you know. Rugby are trying to do, but as I say, the companies have still got that tight hold on on things.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about that grassroots level because that's so important away from the limelight. Um, and we talking about talk about Irish rugby in this uh, sphere a lot as well. Like, what's your experience on that side of thing? Are are younger kids taking up the game? Is there a good pathway there?
3: There was a, a huge increase in the number of players after the World Cup. And the problem was that um, I don't think they were prepared for it. the rugby school that is very close to my house. They just were inundated with kids. They didn't have enough coaches. They were worried about insurance. They didn't have enough playing space on the field for all the kids. The problem is the actual structure of rugby still has not changed. And just to give you an example of that, last week we had a, a tournament in Saga Prefecture, one of the counties in the southwest, that determines. The winner of that tournament goes to the National High School Tournament, which is in its 101st year this year. It's a massive tournament played over the new year. High school rugby, 30 minute halves. The final of this prefecture tournament, 213 nil. So when you have that, you realize the system needs to be fixed because there's just too many kids here that will give up the game at 18. And so... To answer your question, the pathway still doesn't exist. They'll, they'll all teach. They'll all be taught tag rugby, but then there's very few junior high schools that they can then learn real rugby. And mm. the clubs at this stage, there are no junior clubs. I mean, that's one of the things the new league is supposed to provide is an academy. But obviously, if it's an academy, it's only going to be the really good kids. It's not going to be the late developers or, or kids that just don't have an interest in rugby till perhaps 16 or 17.
1: Fascinating Sounds like there's loads of work To do so there And and we'll be interested To see how it develops I suppose To to wrap Like at the top level We're all loving Watching Japan play Fingers crossed They can get into The rugby championship Or or whatever format That comp might take What about this weekend Rich What are you expecting Any prediction for us
3: I, I was just As I say I looked at The benches And I think that Sort of sums up unfortunately what might happen this weekend because you look at the irish bench you've got a guy there with 109 caps you've got a guy with 63 caps 76 caps 89 caps 93 caps and then you look at the japan bench and they've got some very young players they've got no second row on the bench they've got a sevens player who's listed as the reserve lock um i hope japan do well you know obviously they play that brand of rugby that everyone loves to watch and obviously from just the, as a rugby fan you want Japan always to do well because they play that great style of rugby but you just look at the teams at the moment and you think there's a big difference there
1: mm, it's going to be fascinating listen Rich thanks so much for, for talking to us late your time over in Yokohama really appreciate it and we'll catch up again soon no problems at all mate my pleasure
2: Great to catch up with Rich Freeman on Japan. And Japan are very much a model country as it pertains to our next conversation. Murray, we're going to chat about some of the developing nations, tier two nations. Um, It's a phrase I kind of just don't really like for some reason. But those countries that are trying to play catch up and looking ahead to the next World Cup, trying to ascertain who may or may not have an impact. There have been changes on a sort of a macro sense or in a macro sense with the eligibility eligibility rules um potentially being changed i should say there'll be a vote on that at the end of this month so where do you want to start because this is a pretty global chat so what has caught your eye over the last few months in terms of i guess the development of the global game and some of these developing countries
1: well there's so much to get into here but i suppose the the key for me is that this area of the game is one of the big challenges for the sport like if rugby is going to take the next step we need more competitive nations at the top table, making a, a World Cup genuinely competitive, greater greater than five or six nations, whatever it's been, the, the, the traditional powers who you know are going to be in the mix. We need more nations winning games in pool stages at World Cups, making it more competitive and just driving the standard. Um, and that is the, the challenge for, for rugby. There's loads of nations out there with potential. And I agree with you on the term tier two. It, it makes me slightly uncomfortable because you're creating a divide straight away there and a a sense of them not being at the top table i think rugby as a whole needs to work really hard to to integrate um and accelerate the development of of nations and that's a tough thing because everyone wants to keep their their place in the pecking order they worry about dropping behind other nations if they develop but it needs a, a kind of unified approach to to make the game bigger and broader with more bases with new markets and 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 just yeah, everyone talks about growing rugby, but for me, this is the the big part of it. I suppose there's been loads going on behind the scenes, and and that's the thing. You get to the World Cup, and you, and and often you're not aware of how teams have even got there. A big one recently was was Uruguay qualifying into into the World Cup. Um, Canada and USA had a bit of do- disappointment. Canada actually aren't going to make the World Cup now for the first time ever. Um, they lost out. USA still have a chance. They're going to play Chile in in a, a qualifier with the winner of that going into the World Cup as, as America's too and, and that was a brilliant performance from Chile to beat Canada like a, a more established power I know Bert, you did the comms for the game I watched it back brilliant comms by the way with Ron Nugent um, in Spanish yeah. as well <laughs> but, it, but it was thoroughly deserved Bert, wasn't it like Chile are one of these nations now who are developing and showing real signs of
0: yeah Russia. I thought it was uh, outstanding and and, and um, the yeah the passion the, the skill set they had um you know it's there's no uh, um there's been big developments in terms of the competition structure down there so um they're getting better quality fixtures they had funding to go into a, a long camp and, and it just shows you what they can do when they have proper prep time and uh yeah I, i'm looking forward to seeing them you know, play play obviously uh usa next year in a, in a in a knockout game to go to the world cup or knockout uh Set of games to go to the World Cup, but certainly on the evidence I saw and what I've seen of America lately, you'd have to fancy Chile, and and that's what I think is um, is is great is that anyone who stands still risks being left behind, and unfortunately, you know Canada and and USA. have well, not fortunate. Unfortunately for them, they have they have stood still. They haven't um, been able to capitalize on being in those World Cups, which does drive revenue and hopefully grows the game. And, and teams like Uruguay and Chile, obviously Uruguay beat Fiji in the last World Cup, so they, they have been there, but they haven't had any easy rides. And um, I just think it's it's brilliant to see South American rugby um, seem to be on the right track. And you know, obviously, then if we look a little bit closer to home, um, in terms of European rugby, you know, can we? Can we develop um, the game into Germany Spain um, obviously Georgia are, are you know are, are probably the the nearest to being be able to break into that top six in Europe but um, that's like the, you know I, I would say that has to be the next step for, for world rugby and, and um, I know there is money being put into it but um, I suppose Chile Chile and Uruguay are probably the best examples of what we've seen uh, recently to say look at uh, we can with proper strategy get these teams up to speed.
1: And just on that, Gav, can I jump in? It's a worry, I suppose, for Canada and USA to look like they're moving backwards at that level. I do think Major League Rugby actually proving itself um, as viable and still existing, to be honest, at this stage, several years on, is really positive. That domestic side of it is massive. We'll probably talk about international competition, the likes of Japan, Fiji. They need greater opportunity at the highest level. But what's happening underneath probably again away from the limelight is really important and that's why I look at South America and their Superliga Americana de Rugby competition now they got a second season away proper this year after that pandemic kind of ruined the inaugural year but you've teams from Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay and um I'm probably forgetting Colombia, Colombia, yeah, I think. Colombia as well and Jaguares 15 the the Argentinian side they they won it they were really dominant They beat Penarol from Uruguay in the final. But that kind of development is really positive for rugby. I watched a few of the games on streams and and the quality was good. And you would hope that that'll accelerate and develop over over the next couple of years. Because, yeah, I I think Georgia is a great example there, Birch. They are clearly ready. Like, a, a country that loves rugby, they've got government support, they've got facilities, they've got real desire to be integrated at the top table you'd love to see them in a six nations or or whatever format that would take but i also think it'd be great to see a, a, a domestic involvement from from them i don't know if it's a urc second division potentially and you, and you look at the rugby europe super cup again a, a club competition beneath the limelight that that played off this year with um with some european nations from those kind of uh tier 2 sides i suppose lusitano's 15 from portugal have been really good as have the georgian team black lions Like how cool would it be if if the URC could integrate that competition, maybe some of the other South African sides like the Cheetahs who want to be in there as well and involved and you get a kind of two-tier league. I know that would make it even more um, wide-ranging than it already is, which confuses some people. But I think there's an onus there to get that domestic level of competition up a level as well as allowing nations like Georgia to compete at the top table in international rugby. Do you bring a promotion and relegation situation into that, Murray? Potent- potentially, yeah, down the line. Like, how 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 cool would it be to have a, a second tier? And and I know it's something that a lot of fans would would enjoy. And I think there is a real interest in in rugby in different countries and um, promoting that as well. So yeah, maybe down the line that would be that would be a good thing to see. But yeah, like it, Georgia is a great example of a nation with real potential. I think, and it is important that World Rugby, I suppose, targets certain nations it's great spreading the game everywhere but there's a finite amount of resource there and sometimes it makes sense to really target certain nations like Fiji before the last World Cup and I know it was a disappointment how maybe they didn't quite perform to the highest of their potential in that comp but someone like Georgia genuinely I think could be a real contender with a bit more resource and a bit more exposure
2: Birch uh, we might continue on Georgia in a moment but if I could hop back to South America for a second and pick up on what Murray was talking about with the Super League a day Americas. I think you mentioned there that Uruguay and Chile are the two countries who are probably developing the quickest in South America. Brazil have been doing okay as well uh, in recent years, but they're also the two nations, I think, who are trying to introduce second franchises into the Superliga. So you've got Daniel Heracade there, our old friend, uh, former Puma's boss is the High performance director of that league He wants to turn it into a 10 team league eventually But also doesn't want to dilute the quality And they're the two countries that have put their hands up so far As potentially bringing new clubs Into that competition Which is obviously a healthy sign But uh, if you were Creating a competition like that from scratch What's the most important thing to you As it pertains to actually developing national teams On top of it
0: Yeah, I think it's it's The carrot of being able to go somewhere else Um, So obviously you know, the Jaguars will get I guess bored winning that uh, all the time. They're coming from a, a, a far better better competition to start with. But I think where can it lead you to? So I, I think, um, obviously, for to bring it back to Europe again, I, I think I agree with Murray. I think the possibility of getting a team that could get into that premier division of a, of a URC would potentially... Entice investment, whether that's investment from the government, you know, like we know Georgia have have very close links to the the government there, or whether you know the the, the owner of Stade Français, uh, Dr. Wild, um, you know Capri Sun tycoon, you know he was putting a lot of money into Germany, uh, German rugby at the time, um, and there was certainly talks about potential German involvement in the old Pro, uh, fourteen around the time that the Kings and Cheetahs came in, um, and when that didn't happen for him, he he obviously decided to buy a ready made club in, in Stade Francais and, and a competition that's already up and running, but his, at his heart, he was putting a lot of money and, and investment and time into, into German rugby, you know? So if there's a competition structure where um, investors or people who are willing to spend and invest, it's not really investment in rugby, but to lose money and um, to get their team or, or, or province um, into a, a better competition and and have the the rewards of that obviously transferring to an international team. I think, I think there's strong possibilities, but you have to have the competition structure. I mean, Maurice mentioned it. You know, it's no, it, it, it's no surprise that you know the South American teams, the non-Argentina, um, who are already established, are now starting to show improvement because there's a competition structure that um allows them to play a higher level of uh, of competition on a on a regular ish basis and obviously COVID disrupted it for a while, but you can see it then transferring to the national team. So um and obviously those other countries are chasing World Cup qualifications, so that's their carrot. But you know, I, I think that as long as there's um a chance of winning something and you know that winning that is, is worth enough in itself or it leads to you know something uh bigger long term I think that will will focus the mind, and and that's that's potentially. I mean, we've been talking about you know there's been a lot of mo- uh, money meant are uh, spent and invested in competitions etc. in in Western Europe, um, Eastern Europe, uh, and you know Spain etc. But we haven't we haven't really seen them develop bar bar Georgia, um, and then Georgia have have struggled to actually, um, you know, go to that next level to be to be able to. Really sustainably, um, you know, be a challenge to the to the to the established teams in 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 the Six Nations. So that's the. But I definitely would say Georgia for sure, given the amount of the players they have in France, um, given that they're now starting to produce backs, um, given the crowds they can get, given um, you know the the support they have, etc. They could, they should be the next best. But at the moment, they're blocked off. You know what I mean? It must be very difficult for them to to see where they're going because bar bar World Cups. Um, you know, they don't re- they don't have a chance at the moment because the Six Nations ring fans. So I'd like to see I'd like to see that open up at least a playoff. The bottom team plays Georgia, even if it's if it's at home for the Six Nations side, uh, on a one off game like in like in Pro D two. And um and then obviously I, I would totally agree with Murray, some kind of a, a second level URC which expands the game further. Um and long term the potential carrot is entry to the URC. Maybe through a playoff again.
1: Yeah. And we need to obviously talk about the Pacific Island Nations, which is a really massive part of this gap. But just to kind of wrap on Europe, also internationally, Ireland are keeping an eye on it because they're going to have Europe too in their in their World Cup pool. And obviously you'll expect to get a victory there. But it's interesting to see that battle. Georgia are well in front. It kind of counts over the two years of, of Rugby Europe Championship. The Six Nations B and Georgia are five out of five this year. Portugal are sitting second at the moment, but... I think Romania and Russia are still very much in the mix and will be over over the next year. So that's going to be a, a good battle. The third European team also in that competition can can qualify into the World Cup via the, the final qualifier tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Portugal, fair play to them. They had a really talented couple of crops of under-20s a few years ago. People might have seen a little bit of them or a few clips on Twitter and and they're pushing some of those guys through. So again, you love to see those progress stories Um. But yeah, you want someone at the very top table. And I think that's where the Pacific Island nations come in. Like they have that potential.
2: Let's chat about them then. And before we get into the eligibility rule, potential change of the eligibility, eligibility rule, I should say, um, which realistically will most affect the Pacific Island nations because they have produced so many unbelievable players uh, who go up and apply their trade elsewhere. Uh, just to talk about, that neck of the woods in a structural sense, as well, Murray. Obviously, we know that you've got two franchises coming into Super Rugby uh, in the PG in and Drua and Pacifica Moana. Uh, and, like, I can't really see anything wrong with that. I, I hope there are no sort of like, there's no kind of negative spin. It just feels like a positive development, unless you tell me otherwise.
1: Yeah, it's great in my eyes as well. It's a, a key part of the pathway, and you're seeing the squads being announced at the moment. And, you know, it's all obviously Fijian players in the Drua and Tongan and Samoan players in the Moana pa- Pacifica team. They've got good head coaches there Leon McDonald in charge of Moana Pacifica and Mick Byrne, Mick the Kick, in charge of Fiju- Fijian Drua. So, they're putting together good teams there. They're going to play outside the Pacific Islands for this first year. Um obviously with pandemic related issues and travel and all that, but you would hope to see them eventually playing their home games um in those home nations. And it's it's massive, you know, players who would have instantly looked away to Europe and been away and it's hard to get them back in for any sort of training camps or even the international windows can now look closer to home and you would imagine that'll develop over the years to come and hopefully it's a genuine option rather than going to Europe for for that big contract. You'd love to see that. Samoa obviously qualified into the World Cup uh, they beat Tonga over two legs and really impressively I actually thought they, they actually have a really uh, exciting group coming together there some guys who are pretty new to international rugby but have a bit of experience around super rugby and that kind of thing they've got a really good coaching ticket um, Salala Mapasua is in charge and Tanu Maga Andrew Goodman from the Crusaders I'm probably forgetting Mo Schwalgers there as well and obviously Michael Alatoa the captain now is is playing with Leinster you can see his quality so they're going to play against England, Japan, Argentina and it'll be either Chile or USA and I I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get a, a good result if they can develop the shame now is they're they're um not going to play these November tests they they couldn't travel over with with the restrictions aforementioned um and so Tonga really have to push on in this window they weren't able to get all their coaching team over unfortunately for this so Jimmy Duffy actually is one of the guys involved the ex-conic forwards coach in their kind of makeshift um coaching ticket but um yeah you'd love to see those nations push on Fiji obviously have been threatening and and got some big results over the years and and the talent there is obviously undeniable and really thrilling and world rugby as i say have put a bit of investment into that fiji and drew have played in in the australian nrc before and now they get that chance in super rugby i'm thoroughly excited by i can't wait to watch them play at that level
2: birch with those two franchises joining super rugby how does the competition or how do how does the sport i guess avoid a similar situation to the sunwolves who were great to watch, and it felt like again a positive step for Japanese rugby. But didn't work out for financial reasons and so on. Do you think there are kind of safeguards in place this time around, or some kind of a safety net to prevent them from falling out eventually if the first couple of years are hairy?
0: Yeah, I'd like to hope that they stick with them. I think there's there's huge potential there. Um, they have got good coaching staff, uh, staffs. Um, you know, their budget obviously isn't as high as some of the more established teams, but I also think they'll they'll get some players who go back there at the end of their careers and then obviously um to give something back and then they'll they'll find new talent um which is uh, there's lots of it it's just a case of being able to get them away from going to Europe or get them away from going into rugby league which is obviously um, becoming very attractive uh for them the, the NRL clubs are are very active in terms of their ability to scout those those young uh talented players obviously a lot of Tongans go to Japan very young you know 13 or 14 to uh on scholarship so there's so a lot of people uh, trying to, I suppose, drink out of the same trough there. But you would like to think um, that this is going to be a massive game changer for for those countries in terms of being able to, um, you know, contract players uh, locally and have a have a competition structure that they're all they're all familiar with, and and, and some of them, some of them would have grown up. I suppose, hoping to play for, for a team um, somewhere else in this competition. So, I, I, look, it's not a financial play. I mean, it's not going to wash its face. Um, and, and likewise with the Sunwolves, you know, it, you know they needed co-investment. They needed a big investment from the J- or the Japanese Rugby Football Union. But don't underestimate the, the role that played in Japan, you know, now becoming a team that's respected in world rugby. Uh, and, you know, let's not forget where Japan came from, where, you know, Teams. Uh, I remember watching the All Blacks back in the day in World Cups. You know, whoever played ten that day broke the record for points scored. So, um, you know, they they have served their purpose uh, in terms of bringing Japanese rugby on. And I would like to believe that these teams shouldn't be judged on financ- uh, financial financial um, gains or, or or maybe big losses. It should be judged on where they can bring Tonga and Samoa, in particular, back um, to where they they should be because what they contribute to the world game is. It's phenomenal. Fiji, you know, Fiji have been pushing ahead um, of the other two, and, and and have had some great success, and some um, you know, and could do more as well. But particularly Samoa and Tonga, I feel, um, will benefit from this competition, and also uh, will benefit from the proposed eligibility laws um, changing if if that comes into play, which it looks like. It looks like it will, to be honest, which could be massive for them.
2: Well, stick with yourself and let's chat about those uh, potential rule changes then or that potential rule change, right? It feels like it's too, or it feels like it's not a black and white issue where you can say, yeah, it's great or no, it's bad because there will be some unbelievable stories that will undoubtedly boost uh, the squads of several uh, of the countries that we're talking about right now um, in future years. On the flip side, for a country like Georgia, who we we're just talking about, They might look in at some of the Pacific Island nations, for example, who probably will get some, even all-blacks potentially, back at a certain stage and think, well, you didn't even develop these players and we don't really have this option because our players aren't going and playing for other countries um, throughout their careers. So uh, in a very long-winded way, I'm asking you, what are your thoughts on it generally? Like, I suppose if you had to lean one way or the other.
0: I wouldn't worry about it, to be honest. Um, And while it would make things more difficult for those you know, other tier two countries, um, it, it's, you know, it, it's the right thing to do. I mean, the Pacific Islands um, are producing a huge amount of players, whether they're first generation, second generation, um, and unfortunately, they haven't had the opportunity to to be able to to keep them and it's been very difficult decisions for a lot of those players to to go play elsewhere but uh, financial needs have, have meant that that was the best thing to do for them and, and their families and you know, just looking off the top of my head, someone like Nathan Hughes, you know, obviously hasn't played for England for a couple of years. He he could go back. Charles Piatow uh could go back to, to to play for Tonga. There's countless players all over the world, particularly from those Pacific Island teams who who could go back and help them at a at a Rugby World Cup. And um unfortunately it's become harder for them at, at Rugby World Cups to to have you know um the big scalps that they they were having at the start of professionalism and and um you know I, I think I think it's a good thing it's a good thing for p- promoting rugby back in those in those in those islands as well and like I'll be honest I mean don't take for granted that, that supply chain is going to keep coming into rugby union um I've a couple of friends involved in scouting in in rugby league and NRL and I mean they are in there now and they're in Auckland they're in Auckland where um you know scouting the top private schools to take the best talent so and there's only so many can become all blacks um and there's only so many can get into get into Europe or um because of visa requirements so there like we need to do something to make um i suppose to make those countries stronger and to keep rugby union growing i think and and they have given us so much um, and we haven't probably given him enough back to be honest
2: so maybe it is actually black and white Murray just pretty good or what are your thoughts
1: I, I'm kind of veering the other way and I feel like harsh saying that because you don't want to deny what would be brilliant for the like what I've just spoken about the World Cup being so competitive Tonga with a number of guys that Birch has mentioned there's loads of interest there they'd be so competitive they'd be so strong I don't know but the other part of me is like you, you know there was another time when Charles Pioto really wanted to be an all black and and obviously it's not much of a decision to make when you're growing up there and, and you've, I suppose, dreamed of it and the opportunities that come with it, like a move to, to Bristol, uh, to Ulster, sorry, and then Bristol. Um, but I feel like it's such an important decision in your career and that international rugby is kind of special because you've you've made that commitment. And and yeah, maybe it doesn't work out for some guys. It's easy for me to say because I've not been in that position of being involved and then waiting around for a couple of years and, and wishing I could have played for a, a different nation. And also then the fact that it doesn't, you know, it works really well for some nations. Tonga, Samoa, Portugal are the ones who proposed it to, to World Rugby, the the amendment. And they've got players in France with Portuguese heritage. And, and it would be brilliant for them to welcome those back and make them stronger again. But I know there are other nations like like Uruguay who won't benefit from it as much are, are opposed to it. So it goes to a vote. It needs 75% of the 52 votes in total. And obviously some nations and unions have a greater weight behind that vote. So... I'd be surprised if it makes it beyond that vote. Um, probably not for the reasons that I've got concerns about it, to be honest, more for people defending their position and, as we said earlier on, not really having the, the growth of the game in, in mind at, at all times. So, yeah, fascinating to see how it works out, but I'm definitely kind of caught in two minds about what is the best for the game. Great to see Tonga with... A full strength team like they could possibly have But I understand why other smaller nations are, are concerned about it A battle of two giant rugby nations this weekend Can I get predictions from you lads
2: For Ireland and Japan Starting with yourself Murray While you're hot there
1: Yeah I think Ireland by 9 or 10 points um, Yeah there's a na- there's a nagging day Because Japan are so exciting to watch But I think Ireland will have enough quality there
0: Birch? Yeah I'd be the same um, I think Ireland will get it done But It'll certainly be Tetchy And um, We'll be worried for a while Are you back
1: on Monday With Owen Murray? Yeah We're going to do a post-match um, Update from the stadium Myself and Kieron And we'll have a quick chat there And then Owen will be in for In-depth analysis on Monday Always brilliant Getting his thoughts Like he sees it With that analyst's eye So we'll be breaking the game down Key moments And talking about the other International rugby as well So If people want a bit more coverage Join up for the membership now It's a great time With all the November rugby ahead absolutely
2: two extra podcasts for your ears over the weekend and on monday membersthe 42e to sign up there and get all of murray's additional rugby coverage behind the lines number five is also on sale now www.the42.shop that is our new book the fifth edition time flies thank you to everybody at home for tuning in thank you to the two boys as well for their insight as always until the weekend if you remember until next thursday if you're not mind yourself enjoy the rugby over the weekend take it easy